Welcome to the Keep Rising podcast, hosted by Project Still I Rise Incorporated. Project Still I Rise is a community-based nonprofit organization dedicated to empowering today's youth for tomorrow's opportunities. This podcast is dedicated to education, empowerment, and inspiration on behalf of young people and communities across the nation. All right, all right. Welcome back to another segment of Keep Rising. Thank y'all for joining this segment. And if you don't, um, if y'all don't mind, just uh, thank y'all for just tuning in. Uh, the last three episodes uh, has been great so far, and uh, this episode is going to be great. Uh, we're going to talk about is uh, education still a great equalizer in today? And our guest today is Tish Hearn. And Tish, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself, your background, what do you do, and Every, all the fun things that you do. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I am elated to be here. Uh, I'm Tish Hearn. As you guys know, I am the assistant professor and director at Dallas Baptist University at DBU in the higher education department. Um, just to let you know a little bit about how I got here. Um, education has always been a huge part of my life. A huge part of our lives, my parents, although they had stopped out in school at a very young age, they always honed in on the fact that education to them was the great equalizer. And I know we'll talk more about that later. So um, it literally saved our life. So it was the means in which we got out of poverty and the means in which all of their four children um, were able to be successful. And I don't mean just financially successful, but socially successful and also culturally successful and economically successful and in all different ways, we were able to find success through education. Absolutely. So I started, like I was saying, uh, born and raised in Dallas, Texas. I was introduced to higher education at a very young age, I'd say 14 years old, through the Texas Workforce Commission, and I don't know if many of you know about the Texas Workforce Commission, but they had this low income, this program for low income families where children, I think you had to be 14 through 18, were able to secure jobs with different companies. And one of the organizations we were able to secure a job, my sisters and I, was through the Dallas community college district, which is now called Dallas Colleges. So they participated in this Texas workforce program for low-income families, where it was like a summer workforce program, where in the summer we would go, we would work, and we would make money. And, uh, and also we would be exposed to educational opportunities. So my first job and my first stint with higher education was at Mountain View College. And I worked as like a summer assistant for the president and my sister worked in some other offices. And it was my first time seeing how colleges were run and how an institution, I mean, how people, you know, would go to classes and how they would flourish at these institutions. And I was like, oh, this is so exciting, all the work that goes into working in higher education. And I was just 14 years old and I, that planted the seed I think for what I do today. So um, 
So yes, it was very interesting. So then from there, I went to a community college after I graduated high school. I went to Tyler Junior College on a scholarship and it was a two year institution and it was fantastic. It was a great introduction to college life. Um, I'm a first generation college student. So my sister, she did about a semester, I think, or maybe maybe a year, but I think it was just a semester at Mountain View College when she graduated the year before I did, but she didn't finish. And I said, you know, I got to finish this. If I'm going to go, I got to finish this um, because we wanted to, it's a part of like starting the legacy in my family, my immediate family that didn't exist. Mm -hmm. So I went to Tyler Junior College. I received my associate degree. So my two-year degree. And then I went on to UT Arlington, received my second degree, which is a bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. And then I went on to Dallas Baptist University and received my master's degree in communications. So Nicholas, you and I kind of share this <laughs> um, strategic communication background. Mm -hmm. So I studied communications and um, loved it, but also wanted to learn more about higher education and how to get into higher ed. At this point, I was already working at higher ed, so it was just a natural progression for me to study it. So I started studying higher education at Dallas Baptist University, and now I am a PhD candidate. So I'm working on my dissertation as a doctoral student at Dallas Baptist University. So it's just, I mean, to say that education has been a big part of my life, it has been and it still is, and I think it will forever be. So there you go. That's a lot of education right there for me. It's a lot of education. I think you're doing enough education for, for the both of us. <laughs> <laughs> yes, man. But um let's just get right into it. Um a horse man horse man uh, had made a statement in eighteen forty eight that said uh, education then beyond and all other devices, human origin is still the great equalizer of the conditions of man, the balance will of the social ma machinery. Does that statement still hold today? I think, and I know, theoretically and practically, education as the great equalizer still holds today. Empirically, we see something very different, right? So my first question when I think about this statement, the first thing I thought about was like, who is Horace Mann? I know who Horace Mann is, right? Mm -hmm. He's known as the father of public education or the father of common education. But do people really know who he, who he is and who he was, right? As a legislator, as this, I think progressive party, I mean, progressive person in the Whig party, this is during the 1800s. You know, you got to think about what our country looked like in the 1830s. Yeah. Um, what time period were they in? You know, why was he advocating for education for all? Why was he advocating for taxpayers to pay into a public education system, to create a public ed education system, and for whose benefit? Right. So I always think about when I think about education as the great equalizer and the founder or the creator of that statement, I think about what was his motive? Who was he really talking to? Right. And then I think about the Declaration of Independence and I'm like, oh, 
So that statement really fits <laughs> within talking about the equalizer for all. But he was really talking about education being an equalizer for white rural America, mm-hmm. which excluded a big part of the people who were, um, you know, running this country, you know, yeah. building this country, should I say, the big part yeah. of the people who were building this country mm-hmm. for the people who were running it, right? So is education the great equalizer? I think in theory, right? So if you are, back then, if you were white, if you were poor, and if you were educated, you were a lot better off than people who are white and poor who weren't. Today, statistically, let's let's look at, you know, what that looks like. So like in 2019 and 2020, the College Board Report comes out and the College Board Report showed that if you are a high school graduate, you on average will make $10,000 less than somebody who has an Associate of Arts degree. So the first two years of college, I'm a graduate with an Associate of Arts degree. I I will stand in this country to make at least $10,000 more than somebody who has a high school diploma. So in that in that respect, is education still the great equalizer? Well, economically, we could say yes, and it keeps going up. So the College War Report also reported that if you have a bachelor's degree and somebody has an associate's degree, the person with the bachelor's degree on average will make about $15,000 more than somebody who has an associate's degree. Mm-hmm. And then it goes up by about twenty to $25,000 more for each degree that you obtain, all the way up to professional degrees and technical degrees, which I think have no cap, right? Like once you get into technical fields, you can pretty much decide like how much you wanna make. If you have, you know, a specialty, a technical specialty, especially with, you know, all the innovations that are coming through with technology, right? Mm -hmm. So economically, yes. I think that education is still a great equalizer. Yeah. Um, and not that I think, but studies are showing that it is, right? But how people does that, within oh go ahead. Yeah, how does that look for, you know, let's say you get all the education that you need, you know, how does that look for experience moving forward? You know, you know how tough it is in the job field after a lot of these these students graduate. And they they got a degree, but it's hard for them to get a job just because of the experience. So how does that how does that translate still today? Yeah, I think, and that's that's what makes it so challenging, right? Because mm-hmm. opportunity doesn't always match up with um, access, right? So just because we have access to it, just because we are able to obtain it, doesn't mean that the opportunities are there for us to utilize it, right? Mm-hmm. So how do we get into these? you know, these fields, like we're going to school, but we have, we haven't obtained any, any of the experience that's needed. We just have the degree. Mm-hmm. Is the degree enough? I think that's what you're asking, right? Is the yeah. degree enough? Um, no, degrees aren't enough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, studies are showing that, yes, it takes a lot more than just the piece of paper, right? Yeah. But it certainly, I mean, when we look at wage, you know, producing enough money to be able to 
to be able to win in some of these situations, the degree helps. Experience and degree is the great equalizer, right? So education and having the experience, I think, is 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 where you become the most competitive. Yeah. And you know, and so if you're doing it right, you should be obtaining the skills, i.e., experience that you need while you're obtaining the degree. Mm-hmm. If you're doing it right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and that's up, um, that's up to the individual as well. So you, I mean, it is. You getting a degree, it you really got to put is. the work in too. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. It's it's our responsibility mm-hmm. to take agency, to hold agency over how we learn. You know, to if it's not just in the classroom, but it's also outside of the classroom. Like, what internships are we obtaining? Mm-hmm. You know, how are we putting ourselves out there? Um, I like to think about this in education, we call it social mobility, right? Like how are we moving through the social landscape of life? And how does education help us move through the social landscape of of life? Mm -hmm. And I think about it in terms of like, how are we building our social capital? And the social capital is like our networking ability. How are we networking? How are we building relationships? How are we connecting with people? Which is what college should be teaching you how to do mm. or teaching you to get better at doing right the second one is how are we building our cultural capital right the cultural capital is like how are we becoming more competent culturally how are we learning about or learning how to appreciate people from all different walks of life right like we are becoming more and more of a global society how are we interacting with people globally you know, how is our language changing so that we can, you know, understand how people live, the different ways in which people live, right? So how are we building our cultural capital? And then I think about our economic capital, right? Like how are we creating opportunities for ourselves to make more money, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. you know? And not just depending on like, you know, businesses or companies or whatever to provide those opportunities for us. Like, how are we creating these networks? Yeah. And, uh, you know, obtaining the knowledge, the abilities and the skills that we need in order to make ourselves more competitive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did that make sense or am I just rambling? No, 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 that makes perfect sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's just as the, like you said, as we stated, the individual has to, you know, have to want it, you know, Nothing's as I stated before, is like nothing's gonna be handed to you. You have to if you want something, you gotta make that connection with that person. Um, just with the the past two opportunity job opportunities I had, it's not it's not what I know, it's is who I know. It's uh yeah. Is what I and I about. would argue that it is what you know. Mm-hmm. It's what you know and how you are able to communicate that to the right people. Yeah. So not just who you know. But mm-hmm. also what you know is what helped you make that connection mm-hmm. with the who you know. And those two together, I mean, you're unstoppable. Yeah, let me let me write that one down and, and change my whole <laughs> That's what I would say. That's, That's what, what I would say. Right there. Don't ever discount. Don't yeah. ever discount your knowledge and your skill mm-hmm. and your abilities. Right? Like I can know all the people in the world, but if I'm unable to communicate with them, if I'm unable to build relationship with them mm-hmm. then it doesn't matter who i know 
Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And then if I don't have a piece of paper to say, like right (laughs) now, I do a lot of talking and then I hear all the time they say, so when are you going to get your doctorate? Like it always goes back to, so when are you going to get your doctorate? And I'm like, (laughs) do I need my doctorate to sit in this room? (laughs) And And the answer is yes. Yes. You know, I do. It's, it's, it's incredible how that all works out. Mm -hmm. So. And uh, that uh, pushing forward to our next question is that, do you feel that uh, education is an equalizer when all students may not access to uh, inspired, well-trained, empathetic teachers that encourage them to flourish? Yeah. That. I love that question because that's such a real question, right? So we're all sitting in classes. Sometimes we're sitting in classes with teachers that really just ain't it. (laughs) Can I say that? Like, can I say ain't it? (laughs) But, you know, they're not giving us their all. They're not. I mean, some of us as professors, you know, are burnt out. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been doing it for a long time. It gets tiring. So, you know, can education, can that stifle our opportunities that we have to be better educated? Yes, because we don't have somebody who is well-trained, who is inspiring, who's empathetic. And I wish that I could have all the students. I wish they could all just come into my classroom so that I could help, you know, I could I can inspire them and I could do those things. Or I could show them people who are doing it the right way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, yeah, we just don't have it. It's just not set up that way. Yeah. So that's when I go back to agency, right? I go back to individuals, students being responsible for their own learning. And how does agency work? Agency is just the ability for us to utilize our own voice, right? Mm-hmm. And to have this kind of self-actualization and, and knowing of what it is that we need and what it is that we want in order to learn better. Mm-hmm. All students can learn. All students can learn. How they learn is the challenge. How we're being taught is the challenge, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have a responsibility as students in that, in how we're being taught, right? Like I... I have agency over how I want to be taught. Yeah. It's just accessing that agency is the hard part, Mm -hmm. right? Like not sitting shy in the back of the room and being confused about a question and not knowing how to get this question answered, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I don't, I don't, I mean, what are your thoughts on it? I feel like, um, it has to be a passion for both sides, you know. Yeah. You know, the teacher has to make it passionable for the students and, you know, make it more desirable for the students. And and the students, you know, it's got to be a burning desire for, you know, even if that's like, oh, the student has to learn just because he wants to pass for sports or any extracurricular activity. It's like it has to be some type of desire for from both parties is what I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I I love that. It definitely has to be a mutual collaborative experience in order for learning to work. 
right, in order for students to really get what they need out of the classroom, it needs to be this collaborative experience between the teacher and the students, right? Not this authoritative experience where, where the teacher is the head and the student is the tail, yeah. but where they're both trying to learn from each other. And that in itself is inspiring when you're, when you're in an environment, um, in a classroom setting where that happens, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I'm reading this book again for like the 15th time <laughs> um, by one of my favorite authors, Bell Hooks, and it's talking about education as the practice of freedom, right? Mm-hmm. And, and how important it is for us to be taught and for us to learn in environments that allow us to have the freedom um, to challenge and to better understand how how the world around us works, right? And so it's like to be in a classroom where you're able to have discourse, you're able to talk and discuss, but also argue, you know, and, and have discourse about how things are working and what does this career path look like and how does this really fit? And you ask each other, like, why am I doing this? Like in the same way we're doing this podcast and you're asking, like, why is college important? Right. Like we should be able to sit in classrooms and ask those those kinds of questions. And the teachers should be able to have conversation with their students about those very things. So. So, yeah, I think I think that students have a responsibility to look out for that. Mm-hmm. Like to choose courses, to choose professors who are going to collaborate with them in the learning process. Yeah. And if they're not getting that, then they need to get somebody else. Yeah. Right. They need to like. What? Yeah. Just whatever. If whoever. They can. I know that's that's yeah. easier said than done, but yeah. Yeah. Who has the like the best interest in them is just like, you know, when yes. when, when athletes are you know picking a school which. Which coach is going to have the best interest in me? I think students should be yes. able to have the same, the same ability to do that in uh, in the classroom as well. But for now, we're going to take a, a break. We're going to take a 30-second ad break. So we'll be right back with the Keep Rising podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Project Still I Rise, home of the National Youth Chamber of Commerce. The Chamber is dedicated to youth entrepreneurship success through the facilitation of education and access. For additional information on the National Youth Chamber, please visit the website at www.nychamberpsir.org. All right, welcome back from the break. Uh, Once again, it's your beloved host here. Nick Howard with the Keep Rising podcast. We're talking about is education still a great equalizer with my sister Tish Hearn, straight out of Oak Cliff, Texas. And it's just a blessing to have her on the podcast today. Uh, just going into our next question here. At the height of the pandemic, the entire educational system was challenged from pre K to college. How long do you think it will take us to get back on track? Woo! You know what? I, the, the, the last part of that question is, is the part that like, I want us to take out, right? Like how long will it take us to get back on track? We don't need to get back on track, right? Like we off the track, we are off the track. Yeah. And for me as an educator, 
that's exciting for me, right? Like I know that the pandemic brought a lot of challenges with it, right? Mm -hmm. But it also, I see it brought so many ways for us to innovate, so many ways for us to be creative, yeah. so many ways for us to think outside of the box, finally, for us to think of new ways in, in how we educate ourselves and how we educate each other, mm. how we share information, mm -hmm. right? Like new ways in how we not only share the information, but how the information is being used, new ways in how we uh, prepare for academic success, right? Not just get in college, but how do we finish college, right? We have to think about new ways and how that's done, new ways and how we look at the cost of college, right? Like, mm -hmm. whoa, now we don't have, you know, all of these major sports facilities on our campuses that are being utilized because the last two years, they haven't been able to utilize them the same way to make that money, you know, to, to make up for the cost of having those services. All the services that we provide for students were shut down for mm -hmm. essentially a year and a half, right? So how can we look at preserving the cost of those of those services or how do we look at different ways in which we can allocate those funds like where you know where can we move that money you know where can we what are some different ways in which we can look at how why are we charging students so much money when we're not giving them these these services that are you know exacerbating our cost right like yeah. And not, I don't mean just sports, but I mean like the swimming pools and the rock climbing and the, you know, all of these activities that aren't being utilized. Like how else can we use those funds? Yeah. You know, or so I'm just thinking about like how the pandemic really has challenged the ways in which education um, and how it looks. And I don't want us to get back on track. I right. want us to, to build a new track. Mm -hmm. That's really what I want. I want... You know, and I hope to see that um, we become more creative in how we think about how we educate our students and how students are and not just how they're being educated. Right. But how they are receiving mental health services on campus. Right. We had to think about that. The pandemic really allowed us to think about other services that are are important to our students. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think so that's, that's how I would answer that question is that like, yeah. How long will it take for us to get back on track? No time at all, because we're building a new track, right? That old track is gone. <laughs> and I agree with you on that, because I, I think we should continue to, you know, branch out and continue to make different pathways, you know, not just stick, yeah. to, stick to the same way as before is it starting to get mundane and, you know, starting yeah. to plateau and, and decrease in education. Uh, but I think having this pandemic it opened up so many more new doors for educators and students to be innovative like you said and just yeah. you know, make new pathways you know another student might find a different way to learn this way another find a different way to learn this way it's just yes that's, that's the only way we can grow is if we find a way that we like but, yeah uh, i think we were getting too comfortable mm -hmm. you know i think higher ed we were getting too Come, go in the same class every day. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you have that same, it, like you said, it was becoming really mundane. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the challenges aside with the pandemic, um, it really woke us up. 
Yeah. It really woke us up. And I'm hearing students talk, talk so much more about like, how can we do things differently? Yeah. And, you know, how can instruction look differently? Right. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah, that, uh, that's perfect because that leads us next to, to our next question is uh, what can we do as a collective community to improve the conditions of our educational system? And you already hit on that, but just uh, just hit on that again. Yeah, I think I think there's so many ways in which we can improve. I think that we should create um, open and safe places uh, in within our higher education systems where students are able to to voice their needs and able to they're able to collaborate with administrators and staff and also faculty and not just even administrators, staffs and faculty, but our board. They're able to collaborate with them in, in in unique ways in order to get their needs met right like i think that partnerships are important nowadays like i love this collective community that you that you built into the question like how can we that's what we need to improve the conditions of our educational system and then what does that look like it looks very revolutionary mm-hmm. and i know that's a word that's just like what you don't say that word right it's it's, mm-hmm. it's and all the greatest educators that I know, that I've studied and that I that I love and that I build kind of my work around, right? Like Bell Hooks and James Baldwin and Mary McLeod Bethune and Ida B. Wells, all these great black Americans that have an influence in education. They all talked about education being revolutionary for all people, not just for our people, but for all people. And what does that look like? That means that we are taking action we're taking responsibility and we are working in community with educators on what education should look like, on how we learn, right? Like we are taking responsibility for how we learn and we're bringing everybody else along with us. We're like, look, you have an influence in how we should be educated, sit at the table. So we're (laughs) all sitting at the table, not just board members, not just faculty, not just staff, but students need to sit at the table, right? Yeah. To make this a, to make this truly collaborative, to make this a collective effort in how we all learn, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm thinking. And maybe I just got way too preachy, but I was just like, yeah, education is a revolutionary act. It's something that is going to bring about resistance. People aren't going to like it. But then that's when you know that they're learning. That's when you know, like, it's also this, this, um, how can I say it? It's an opportunity for us not just to learn new things, but us to unlearn things that didn't work. And I don't think we're doing enough of that. I don't think there's enough unlearning happening, right? (laughs) And so as a collective community, it gives us the opportunity for us to, to find new ways to learn, but also to unlearn some of the, some of the old ways that just were not working. Yeah. So I think, I think we need to do more of that. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's going to improve the conditions of education. Mm-hmm. If we're all working together to do it, if we're trusting our students, right? Like I, I know six year olds that are running their own businesses, yep. like doing it right. You know <laughs> what I mean? And I'm like, he's six years old. He's 11 and he has like a bow tie company and he's like running it. 
what do you mean he can't serve on the board of this entrepreneurial academy, right? Like, what do you mean he can't? Like, he's running his own business. <laughs> so it's it's things like that that I think that we need more of. Yeah. Trust in our young people. Mm-hmm. Trust and giving them that opportunity as well. They yes. They worked hard for it. So yes. So just give them and they know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Many of them know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You talked about some of the some of your favorite uh, black educators. Uh, it just leads us to our next question: Does uh, does education still give us hope? Yeah, it is. It mm-hmm. does give us hope, right? Like mm-hmm. that's all we have, really. Like, I mean, I think about the people that I, the greatest education educators that I really admire and I love. All of them say that education saved their life. Yeah. Learning to read saved their life. And I'm like, I wouldn't even be in a doctoral program if I hadn't had the opportunity to work at a community college at 14 years old, right? I, I just feel like that just gives me so much hope for the future. Like if we just, we're always learning. So of course it's, we have to be hopeful about what we do with what we learn, mm-hmm. right? The more we learn, the more passionate we become about ways in which we can save this world, right? Or we could help, you know, look, I'm a spiritual person, so Mm -hmm. we can, we can help in the, in, in, in God's mission to save this world, right? Like, I'm just like, how can we do more of that? Then we have to educate ourselves in the Mm -hmm. process. We have to constantly be learning and unlearning. Yeah. Learning and unlearning <laughs> all yeah. the time. That is key. So that gives me hope. Mm-hmm. Does it not give you hope? Does it give you hope? Yeah. Yes, ma'am. That 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 definitely does give me hope. It's just uh, because I just know that there's so much more. So I grew up just playing sports, and you know, thought sports was going to be my way. But there's so much more than sports, and education is so it's so key because it, it opened up so many doors to to a whole new world and. Just like just like you said, I'm very spiritual as well. I believe in God, believe in Jesus, and it's just like He's placed me in opportunities and blessings mm-hmm. to just you know to be able to you know give back and be able to open up new opportunities for my family as well. So it just, it's yeah. been one one heck of a ride. even though I'm young, it's just it's been one heck of a ride so far. And I'm, education is definitely it's a service. I think about Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. And I think about like the act of service all the time. And education is, to, at least for me, it is, it's a gateway to service, right? Mm-hmm. It's the way in which it's, it's the way in which we can be better servants and we can, we can serve our communities and people all over the world so much better mm-hmm. the more we know, yeah. right? When you stop learning, you stop growing, you stop serving you know and so that gives me hope that we'll that we can create me as a professor that i have a hand in creating better servants because i'm educating them you know in ways that you know god has destined me to do right like he's given me the voice and the tools and and all the ways in which i've learned and he's saying give this back to my people yeah so that they can become better servants and i just love it i love it so yeah that servant yes. that servanthood the servant 
Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Always comes back to that, right? Yeah. Y'all hear that? Always give back. It's it's very important. It's it's very important to give back. But that's the end of our episode. Thank y'all for tuning in to the Keep Rising podcast. Once again, this is uh, my sister, Tish Hearn, a special guest. I'm your beloved host, Nick Howard. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and and LinkedIn at Project Still I Rise. And uh, we'd love to connect with you. And please just... uh, continue to listen to our episodes. We thank y'all for tuning in. Y'all have a good one. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed listening to this segment of Keep Rising with Project Still Our Rise. Please stay connected with us by visiting our website at www.psir.org. We look forward to you joining us next week. And remember, whatever you do, keep rising.